Welcome to the first episode of our podcast, Mason Dixon Time, brought to you by co-hosts Will Breslin, Gabriel Garcia, Yasmin Talby, and Sandy Zhang. Today, we will be talking about the evolution between the state and national executives in the United States from the Great Depression to now. Let's dive right in. So, William, tell us a bit about the Great Depression. How did the state and national executives respond to the crisis? Were there any conflicting issues between how states wanted to handle the crisis versus how the national government wanted to handle it? Where did the majority of the people turn their head towards? Sure. So the Great Depression is one of the most important and impactful crises of the first half of the 20th century. While everyone has heard of this period of time between 1929 and the late 1930s, not everyone knows the severity or the cause of this period of time. So the Great Depression is seen by most as kicking off on October 24th, 1929, the day that the stock market crashed and more than 12 million shares were sold. Though this is most commonly known as the catalyst of the Depression, there were issues even before this 24th of October, most commonly referred to as Black Thursday. Uh, Stock prices were at a level that did not accurately represent the contemporary economy, and according to History.com, production had already declined and unemployment had risen, which is what caused these these stock prices to be much higher than their actual value. Additionally, wages at that time were low, consumer debt was proliferating, and the agricultural sector of the economy was struggling due to the drought and following uh, food prices. Banks had an excess of large loans that could not be liquidated, uh, and during this period of time, the industrial production dropped more than 45%, GDP declined by 30%, and unemployment surpassed 20%. Throughout all of these troubles, there was little disagreement between the state executive and the national executive. The best-known political debate from that period of time was, as History.com notes, FTR's plan to pack the Supreme Court in response to the court declaring Roosevelt's New Deal policies unconstitutional a division that was within the federal government. Not all the states reacted the same during the Great Depression. The North Carolina History Project reveals that North Carolina took a very different approach to the Depression than Washington did. Governor O. Max Gardner responded to the Depression by cutting state spending and lowering property taxes. That austerity continued under Gardner's successor, John Erringhaus. On the other side of the spectrum, there was Governor Huey Long of Louisiana. As Virginia Commonwealth University's Social Welfare Victory Project states, Huey Long managed to get Louisiana to pass infrastructure projects and social programs years before the New Deal came into effect. However, Long became a U.S. Senator, revealing that even the best of governors have some limitations that aren't present in the federal government. Yeah, definitely. During this time period, it seems as if there was not that many issues between the state and national government. But things seem to change a bit as we get into the era of baby boomers in the 50s and the 60s. Gabriel, can you tell us a bit about that? What happened there? Yeah, so for a brief period in time, the rivalries between the states and the federal government had to be on hold, be put on hold because of World War II. However, the Federalist debate would become more heated in the years to come. The conflicts of federalism during the Civil Rights era is well known. The conservative Southern Democrats, which sought to uphold segregation, were at odds with the more liberal and integrationist federal government. One of the first major battles between state and federal offices came from Brown v. Board of Education. This U.S. Supreme Court ruling on May 17, 1954, that declared segregation of schools to be unconstitutional. However, it didn't give a required timetable for this integration. As the NAACP 
Legal Defense and Education Fund recalls, Virginia governor, uh, the Virginia governor made a commission to defy Brown, and several uh, Southern politicians signed the Southern Manifesto, declaring intent to resist this ruling. In 1958, Go uh, Governor Orval Eugene Favis of Arkansas deployed the state's National Guard to prevent the Little Rock Central High School from having racial integration, ignoring the Supreme Court's Brown ruling, as mentioned by the Encyclopedia Britannica. President Dwight D. Eisenhower responded to this by sending 1,200 Army paratroopers to the state in order to enforce racial integration policies. Of course, state and uh, federal conflict can't be mentioned in the civil rights era without the infamous Alabama Governor George Wallace, who obstructed integration of educational institutions in Alabama in 1963, also noted by Encyclopedia Britannica. Though the 60s saw uh, state governments as an obstacle to federal government's agenda, this was not always the case. History.com notes that in 1967, there were riots in several American cities, including Detroit. In response, Michigan Governor George Romney passed the Michigan Fair Housing Act, which was before LBJ passed the Federal Fair Housing Act in 1968. Wow, so much has changed within the span of 30 years. It seems as if state executives only seek help from the government if their state is in trouble financially and ignore them for every other issue. Let's hear what happens after the civil rights era. Yasmin, can you tell us a bit about that? Um, yeah, sure. So after many pieces of federal legislation were put in place during the civil rights era, the federal government became more prominent not only in legislation, but especially in public opinion. There was a new effort called the New Federalism Effort that came in three phases where presidents, such as Ronald Reagan and Bill Clinton, tried to shift funds, authority, and responsibility to state governments. The first phase was during Nixon and Ford's presidency because they wanted to better manage intergovernmental grants. They didn't achieve much during this phase. However, during Reagan's presidency, Reagan used the famous phrase that the federal government didn't create the states. The states created the federal government. His goal was to mitigate the inefficiency by the federal government, in particular for social programs. During the third phase of new federalism in 1995, advocates of states' rights had a victory with the decision for the Supreme Court case, the United States versus Lopez, which narrowed the interpretation of the Commerce Clause when declaring the Drug-Free School Zone Act of 1990 unconstitutional. The Supreme Court stated that the act could not be justified under the Commerce Clause of the Constitution. This was a victory for states' rights advocates because they declared that the act intruded on the law enforcement responsibilities of individual states. This case represented a trend that continued throughout the 90s, where the Supreme Court continuously reduced the role of the federal government. The final and third phase took place during Clinton's presidency, and the debate was fueled by desires to reduce the federal deficit, to achieve management efficiencies at the federal level, and to reconsider the proper roles of federal, state, and local governments. This federalism debate was sparked by the 104th Congress, and their achievement was the passage of the Unfunded Federal Mandate Reform Act of 1995, which required the federal government to cost and assess the impact of federal legislation and regulations on individual states. There are relatively fewer differences between state and federal executives. However, being governor was still a prestigious position to hold. As writer David Day Dayan of the American Prospect noted, they had leadership experience and would frame themselves as outsiders untainted by the corruption and partisanship of Washington, D.C., Jimmy Carter, Ronald Reagan, Bill Clinton, and George W. Bush were all governors before becoming presidents. As Dayan said, the beginning of the 21st century saw an increase in the importance of governors in politics. After the national tragedy of 9-11, all eyes went towards the federal government for political response. This continued with the Great Recession of 2008, which, like the Great Depression several decades before, required the power and resources of the federal government to be properly handled. 
Wow, really? Well, now as you already know, we are in a worldwide pandemic as there is still no cure for COVID-19. Theoretically, American people would turn to the president for help and assurance. However, the attitude of the federal government being the most important factor has now been challenged. As we can see, the federal government has pushed most of its responsibilities to the states, telling states to go find the resources themselves, such as testing kits, while urging them to reopen their states to stimulate the economy again. Before we leave, we want to ask our listeners this question. What do you think happened within the century that changed the roles of the states and national government so much? Alright, thank you for listening.